Hello and welcome to the IOSH podcast. These episodes will feature exclusive interviews with industry experts, behind the scenes discussions with members and conversations with future leaders of the health and safety profession. In the first part of this episode, IOSH magazine editor Joanne Perry talks to Stuart Hughes, who has just taken up the IOSH presidency, about how he landed his job at Mercedes and marking 50 years of the Health and Safety at Work Act. Stuart Hughes, welcome to IOSH podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm actually going to introduce both of us because we're both relatively new. So I'm Joanne Perry and I took over the editorship of IOSH magazine back in August last year. And Stuart, you became president of IOSH in November. So tell us a bit about yourself and your your background in health and safety. Yeah, so um, my background in health and safety is pretty much my my whole career, I suppose. Um, I've been driven by a belief that people shouldn't be hurt for other people's profits and that essentially a healthy and safe working environment a, a basic human right and that's kind of been my north star so I started I finished school and wanted to kind of move away from the rest of the crowd and I went to catering college in the centre of Birmingham and got really inspired with I suppose public health and public benefit and um, was taught by a guy who used to be an EHO and he taught us in Cockney rhyming slang and it was wonderful and he'd had this great experience and I thought oh that sounds like a really interesting and varied career so um, off I went to see a career advisor Um, he said I needed to go to university which was not on my radar and off I went there and whilst I was studying environmental health and this broad range of kind of food safety public health environmental um cleanliness I suppose and all of these different topics health and safety became the thing I got really passionate about um so yeah I I left uni went to work as an EHO in both Camden and Westminster Council um, my stripes if you will um and then wanted to get involved in stuff that was a bit more high risk so I did my NEBOSH diploma um I went off to Veolia and worked in waste management and quite a high hazard industry with quite an interesting workforce um, did that in the center of London um, and then I left to be a consultant at KPMG in their sustainability services team which was um, really interesting across audit mergers and acquisitions and all kinds of um, yeah, really interesting clients and then I didn't really like consultancy because you didn't get to kind of see the end of your work we didn't have full ownership so I wanted to get back into an operational role and um, yeah one day I was busy writing a report um, trying to google some some information and um, a job site came up that hadn't been on for a little while and I kind of did some procrastinating um, and Mercedes were looking for a for somebody to go and do health and safety for them and um, that was it I stopped what I was doing um, did my CV did my application did my covering letter and I've been with that that we've been with the team for over eight years now you, you make it sound really easy I, you just walked into Mercedes <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't that easy no probably one of the hardest interview processes that I'd been through so um, I'd not been in a manufacturing environment before um, I'd not been in a high performance environment before and um, I think like anything if you really want something you do a lot of preparation before you arrive but I think the thing that stood out for me compared to other people was um, I they asked me what I would do and I said I can't tell you what I would do until I learn 
the organization so i said i wouldn't tell you i'd implement x y or z um i'd probably spend the first three months in post understanding where the risks are within the organization and then i'd help you build the strategy to get you to where you need to be and that was the bit i think that stood out over other people saying you know they would come in and implement a specific system or work in a specific way um yeah it was tough i had to i was i had um it was a competitive interview so you met the other two people that were kind of the final three um after the first round of interviews and then i had to present to the set to their safety rep committee um and then i had three pairs of different senior leaders um, interviewing for me for the role um, and yeah I think just right place right time we matched um, really nicely and yeah I've not looked back really. Mm. It's interesting what you said about looking before in implementing something from the outside so um, actually I used to work on automotive magazines and I had the privilege of going to various car factories around the world in places like Japan and India and Brazil and Mexico and so on. So I went around the shop floor and I saw all the machines and all the people operating. And it was really interesting. And because I went to different factories and different brands, um, quite often when I was there, people would ask me about the other locations and the other companies that, that I'd been to because I was like the insider who was going and seeing what was actually happening. Um, and they wanted information from me. So um, I actually normally tried to be diplomatic about things. And uh, if people asked me how good their body shop was, I said, oh, it's lovely. It's it's really efficient and it's clean and it's, it's clearly a very safe operating environment. Um, but I think it's very important what you said about not having that sort of idea or system and then putting it on something that maybe it doesn't fit. You know, it's a case of looking what's what needs to happen um, and as you said, learning before you impose something. I think it's one of the key things of, of the safety professional is to be adaptable. I think the core principles of occupational safety and health, you can lift into any any organization in, in any part of the world. Your task is to understand you know, the key objectives of that organization and then and then get alignment. And once you've understood how you're going to align, you can understand the challenges of the people and what they're trying to achieve and then you can communicate how safety is going to help enable those things to happen um but also you can you can start to understand and explain how your challenges align with theirs and how you can kind of both have this symbiotic relationship to be helpful to one another um and i think that's that's one of the beauties of the of the profession you know it's a uh, it's driven by purpose, but it's also you can have a really significant impact on an organisation in a positive way. Um, but you've got to be able to go and talk to the people at all levels of the organisation. And that's probably one of the most fun um, elements of the role. And specifically at Mercedes, where you've been for over eight years now, what would you say you've learned in that role as head of health and safety? Um Oh, I mean, loads, to be honest with you. I think it's probably like, um, I describe it to people as been like 10x growth for myself personally and professionally. I've I've been very fortunate to work with some very inspirational people um, and also been very fortunate to be allowed to be, to be the specialist. Um, and I think there's probably a few bits like personally, I'm, I'm much more capable than, than I probably ever imagined I was. Um, I think things like COVID were a really big challenge where, you know, 
the people that you look up to admire in the organization all of a sudden turn around to you and, and kind of say right develop the path out of this then please and you kind of go right okay we haven't got a blueprint um you know we're, we're working very you know in a very agile way we've got to be very reactive to the challenges and the changes and i think those things were you, you kind of go back to your core skill sets of of you know basic principles of osh and and fundamentally they work um i think other key bits like alignment is probably the biggest key key piece for me um that un- understanding the needs of the organization um and I think communication, like speaking to people to to learn um, about their challenges, um, I kind of my team, I say 50% of the time, I want them to be out just talking to people because that's when you learn what's going on. Um, we don't talk to people about safety per se. We talk to them as humans, um, understand their challenges. And naturally, when they talk about their challenges, um, you know, issues around health, safety or well-being come up and that gives us an opportunity to act. So I think those bits are really important. I think you can work um, both safely and quickly. That's probably something I've learned in, in this environment. And I, the other key bit, I, I think, is that, you know, performance, quality, reliability, they're all really well aligned with occupational safety and health. And I think that there's the opportunity to learn from all of those disciplines um, to see where you can attach some of the work you're trying to get done. Um, so that's probably, I mean, there's a bucket load more, if I'm honest, I could probably talk about that for hours, but um, they're probably the key the key elements that I would you know, transfer to other people. Just going to the fact that you're stepping into the presidency at you know, quite an interesting time in this post-pandemic world, uh, where actually the world of work has changed significantly. We have hybrid working. Um, we have a lot of different kind of issues that um, occupational safety and health professionals are are having to deal with. What are your objectives now during your presidency, um, and what what you what are your key aims during your tenure? I think you've got to be realistic about what you can achieve in in a 12 month period. Um, So my my kind of three focus areas, and I'm I'm a very simple creature, so I kind of deal with things in three so I can remember what's going on. But um, it's really about members, um, our, our profession and then society. And so from the membership perspective, I think it's really important to uh, recognize the value that we have within the volunteer network and um, raise the profile of the people that are, are, are doing additional work on top of their normal day job for the benefit of the membership. Um, so that's one ambition that I have um, in the 12 months. The second one um, on the professional side of things is to elevate thought leadership um, and the research agenda. Um, one of the challenges I think is academia can be impenetrable and we do a lot of there's a lot of great work that, and research that's done but translating that into useful instruments of practice for the profession um, it doesn't always come come through um, so really challenging IOSH to shape the research agenda for the future um, and to kind of set a program in place that lasts well beyond my tenure in terms of bringing um, groups of people together to discuss topics um, that are issues um, either today or in the future and how we um, generate the tools for the profession to be able to manage those effectively and then the third one is society so um, OSH as a fundamental principle and right um, happened not that long ago through through the ILO um, 
international labour organisation and um, I think probably lots of people in the public would be surprised that a healthy and safe work environment wasn't a basic human right um, but now it's enshrined in law I think that gives us a, a big obligation to um, globally make changes for the benefit of the workforce so to really champion that and then also to elevate um, the health in health and safety so um, I've got a core belief that health is your foundation for everything else and work should be an environment that um, at a very minimum maintains your health but I feel like we should be able to um, through organisations improve people's health um, in the workplace and therefore have a greater impact on, on society as a result. I was lucky enough to attend the presidential handover in November and in your speech you mentioned the the babble effect and reducing the babble effect. What did you mean by that and how would we go about doing it? Um, yeah, so the, the, the babble effect, um, in essence, it's about um, making sure that we stop kind of making mistakes around, um, I suppose, seeing confidence as competence um, and certainty for credibility and and quantity for quality and I think when you when you break those things down um, actually um, you know the people that have the competence you know expertise in things should have the louder voice than those that are just confident to broadcast their opinion Um, and I think that's really important for I suppose improving, you know, workplace conditions, holding workers' rights um, to honour, and 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 those kind of things. Um, and again, you know, perhaps we need to focus on um, what's right rather than who's right as a profession. Um, so actually, you know, it doesn't really matter which camp of the current safety theory you are in. Um, actually, what we need to be doing is is the things that are right for the benefit of the global workforce over um you know i suppose digging into a, a one position or the other to claim that one one's right and one's wrong um there's many different ways to to achieve an end result and the, i think the outcome should be the focus um and i think less is more um i think we have probably gone through a period within within occupational safety and health where we've um, over-engineered things where we've put far too many um, bits of paperwork in or systems and instead of actually saying right you know we've we've implemented this to contain an issue the issue's contained and now we need to work our way back away from this because you know we've got effective controls in place but we can stop with some of the kind of uh, I suppose the the overburdens and pieces I think that's the challenge for the profession um you know actually what what's the quality of the work that we're doing rather than the quantity of it and i think though that kind of the whole thing of that wraps into something called the babble effect um which i read and really you know it really kind of touched a nerve with me where i was like actually that's that's a really important message and i think it's um you know one of the points in, in my presentation or the handover speech was about 
whether we want to be custodians of the past or stewards of the future. And I think it's about being stewards of the future. And that's about challenging the status quo. It's about shaping the world of work as we go forward. And it's about making sure that what we do is effective and, and that the outcomes are, are positive for the global workforce um, rather than just, you know, creating work for ourselves to make ourselves feel like we're important or valuable. I suppose um, it's it's really important to remember the humans involved in all of these processes. You just mentioned um, about some issues can be contained um, and there may be lots of process and so on, but there's, there's people <laughs> involved in this in the workplace and also the ultra professionals themselves and, um, you know, not getting too lost in the systems, the processes and those details and thinking what's best for the people involved. Absolutely. I think, you know, we need to, it's a people game safety. Fundamentally, that's what you're, you're trying to do. And I think the, the, the balance of that is that you need the, you need society to understand that, that OSH is a, is, is a benefit and, um, you know, is valuable and you need organizations and business to, to see it as being enabling. And I think if you can, if you can marry those two pieces up where the organization says actually safety enables us to do the, the work that we want to do and it helps us to keep our people safe and healthy and the people understand that actually the things that we're being asked to do are, are beneficial to them in in the long term um, then you get to a really nice sweet spot actually where you can drive efficiency and progress and innovation but we're all within the fr- in in a boundary, I suppose, or a framework of, you know, the, with the human at the centre that you are, um, you know, protecting as much as is is is, is possible. I think um, nobody wants to work in an environment that's completely risk free. It would be very very dull, um, and you need a certain amount of risk in 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 the world to be able to innovate. Um, you know, the Wright brothers would never have got off the ground, would they, if if they weren't willing to tolerate some risk and we'd, we'd not we wouldn't innovate um, as a species if we weren't willing to tolerate some risk but it, it's about making sure that that um, the burden of that risk isn't out of balance to the people that are exposed to it so I think that's the that's the the very delicate seesaw that we have to that we have to balance but I think it's possible um, if if we really think about the outcomes and what we're trying to achieve. So it's the 50th anniversary of the UK's Health and Safety at Work Act 1974. In your opinion, what was the impact of the act in particular worldwide rather than just UK focused? Well, I think with any bit of legislation that is, you know, in essence, untouched for, for 50 years, you know that it's a it's, it's a well-written piece of legislation. Um, I can think of other bits of legislation that every three or five years go through you know seismic change and it kind of tells you the story that perhaps we didn't we didn't get it right the first time round, or that change has been so um, significant that it, it's no longer relevant I think the core principles of, of the act um, have, have stood the test of time I think that it's also been imitated um, you know in different parts of the globe and, and imitation is the highest form of flattery isn't it so I think that you know, knowing that it's been, I suppose, a, a piece of leading legislation is 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 quite a strong point. Um, obviously, the world of work is changing, um, and you know, probably we're we're going through a 
a period of change more dramatic than than any other um, at the moment, certainly at a faster rate than than we've probably seen in in the history of time. Um, and and that's where you start to go. Okay, well, does it need to does it need to adapt for the future? But I think you know globally it's had an impact. I think um, probably changes in technology have, have probably led to more risk reduction than than legislation itself and we're starting to see things plateau um, in different parts of the globe and we're starting to see numbers go in the wrong direction in in, in other parts of the globe and it's safety is a you know it, it's part of a complex ecosystem it's it's a it's a wicked problem where um, you know you're trying to both you know deliver end results whether it's constructing a you know a tenure a 10-year project and you're starting that with one position and in a decade later the world's changed around you massively and and you know the inference of protecting people from harm hasn't shifted but the mechanisms for doing it have changed and i think that you know those are the challenges that we face now with you know every decade you move forward the the, the rate of change is exponentially grown um and i think that you know the, the challenge I think the challenge to write legislation that keeps up with change is is massive and actually what we should be doing is saying right what are the core principles of the legislation and how do they adapt to the world that we find ourselves in now and that's where i think that the the act was very well very well written um because you you know it, it's broad enough in its scope to be um applicable in in kind of today's world of work um without too much difficulty i think some interpretations have grown a bit unwieldy um you know if i think about risk assessment and you know documenting significant risks and actually you know some organizations will will document absolutely everything and perhaps we've you know that's probably one of the things we've over engineered and, and we could we could kind of simplify um but i think overall the value of the act's been 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 significant you know we've I think without it, I think workplaces wouldn't necessarily have changed in 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 such a strong way. Um, I quite like reading, um, I suppose, things from the past that have an influence on on the world of work. And I was reading a chapter in a book that was talking about kind of the the early 1900s and the workhouses and the conditions that children were forced to work in. Um, and actually, you know, some of those people that made the changes you know, pre the act and, and, you know, the factories act before that, and there was others that came before it that actually led to significant improvements in working environments and, you know, stop children from being forced into child labor and those kind of things. And they're really powerful. Um, and it's a shame, I think, that that isn't, you know, globally that hasn't um, leveled out so that actually there's there's a global standard of when you can enter the workplace, the conditions that you should expect to find in the workplace. And I think that's the, the biggest challenge for the OSH profession in, as we move into the future is to um, globally raise the standards um, so that we're protecting more people. Mm, it's an interesting topic. IOSH magazine recently made a video about modern slavery because slavery still exists. It's really shocking and, and terrible that that still exists. That applies to certain parts of the world, but also the UK. And a lot of people are surprised when they they start hearing about this, but over 100,000 people 
are in modern slavery in the UK. So there's still some work to be done in that area to protect people. Yeah, and I think that, you know, um, everybody has a part to play in that, don't they? So as a consumer, if you're purchasing things that are, you know, garments that are three pounds, you know, you probably have to question how how that comes to fruition. Um, I think, yeah, it's certainly surprising when you read things like in the, in the Financial Times and you find that there's, you know, forced labor textile shops you know, or factories within um, within the UK, you would, you know, assume that those kind of things don't, don't exist anymore. Um, so definitely we've got work to do, you know, both at home and and th- I think it's throughout the supply chain. I think we have to challenge those big organizations that operate the big brands that, you know, can have influence throughout the supply chain. Um, I was at a Global People um, Sustainability Summit last week and, and I heard a really great um, talk from uh, the Global Lead for Safety for Unilever. Um, and they had an issue with um, accidents from their their drivers within within Mexico um, and one of the things they did was they ran a, a, a kind of health camp um, so over kind of a week-long period they did a number of um, I suppose tests and different assessments and people and actually 30% of their drivers um, who had eye eyesight tests needed glasses you know, and that that is like such a simple thing, but actually the provision of of glasses for thirty percent of people that didn't know that they need them instantly has an impact on their road safety. So I think there's just campaigns like that that you know the larger organisations can do to help throughout their supply chain. Um, and, and I think those are the things that actually you go, well, we can we can really make a difference. You know probably just some of the smaller things that we might overlook actually if we went through those and said right okay how do we how do we elevate the health of the people that are in our supply chain to to understand that they're in you know as good a condition as possible for the work that they do you know ultimately for our organization um that has a massive impact and you know their quality of life will improve as a result they're probably less likely to get into a, a road traffic accident you know now that they can see clearly um and ultimately that will drive performance within that organization so you know it's we have to understand that it's not you're not alone in this so you kind of we're, we're all connected in some way and i think that the interventions we do need to need to go from top to bottom across that you know throughout that supply chain thanks for listening Join us next time for more conversations on all things safety.